Amen. Well, I'd like to invite you to turn, if you will, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 31, which is quite a short reading, Isaiah 31, and it's only nine verses long, Uh, nine simple verses as we're preparing our hearts to enjoy the Lord's Supper as well this evening. Isaiah chapter 31, it says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, The helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. The title of the sermon tonight from Isaiah 31 is this. Egypt's help is hopeless. Egypt's help is hopeless. Well, we need to remember that Isaiah chapter 30 and 31 belong together. And how does Isaiah 30 begin? It says... Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, 
who set out to go down to Egypt without asking my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh. Now, if we move to chapter 31, and remember, there were not chapters and verses in the original prophecy that, that Isaiah is giving. And remember, it's the Lord who's speaking. It's not uh, Isaiah primarily. He's the instrument, but it's the Lord who's speaking. And how does it begin in chapter 31? Though there wasn't a chapter 31 in Isaiah's day, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Well, what's the message? The message is not to go running down to Egypt. Now, naturally speaking, the last thing we're going to do is go to Manchester Airport and jump on an airplane to Cairo. Is that, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're not going to find help from Egypt at all. And, but the point is, is this, in Israel's day, uh, Egypt was a very powerful nation. If you had enemies attacking you in Judah, what do you do? You either turn to the Lord and cry, help, Lord, help, or you can look to man's help. And the best place, or one of the best places to go, was to go running to Egypt. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they had very powerful horses. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots. I was pastorally visiting someone recently, and as I got there, there was a, a lovely young lady, and she was you know, cantering on a horse down the road, and I thought, how cute, how cute. But that's not the picture here. This is not people doing a little bit of horse riding. Horses were the most powerful animals in, in this time of Isaiah, and if you're going to win a battle, you need as many powerful horses as possible, and with the horses, you need chariots. It was like a modern-day tank. In other words, you are going to rely on man's methods to win battles. Now, the problem is, is that in this time season of Isaiah preaching to the covenant people of God in Judah and in Israel, is that they were in a covenant with God in a way that Britain isn't today, in a way that France isn't, in a way that Malaysia isn't. We're living in a different time uh, today, but in that time, the people of God were bound in a covenant that if they obeyed God and they faced problems, they would, or, or an enemy came to attack you, they were to turn to the Lord and cry out to him. They were not to be sending tanks, well, not tanks, not, but horses and chariots into battle. They were to be relying upon the Lord. And so this message is very helpful for us tonight. And it's this, Egypt's help is hopeless. The, the church, the people of God, we're not going to literally turn to Egypt but Egypt is a metaphorical picture for us of the world. And the church are not to be turning to the world for its help. In fact, we've got three headings for us. The first heading is trust not in Egypt. Don't turn to the world and the church for Egypt's power. Secondly, don't trust in Egypt's power. And on that second heading, we'll push the thumbs into the clay and see, have worldly inroads come into the church in any way uh, that have affected the church? And thirdly, our third heading is to look to the Lord. So let's go to our first heading tonight, which is trust not in Egypt. 
Let me read 31 and verse 1 again. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So the first thing that we found here is woe. There's a woe pronounced on the people of God who would go down to Egypt for help. There's a woe pronounced. It's a very short word, woe, as I'm sure you would agree. But it's a very uh, powerful word and not one that you'd actually want to hear on the lips of the Lord. Woe to those people who would go down to Egypt, what for? For help. On the pulpit we have here, written from Psalm 124, something that's very opposite. It says, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so woe to those who, who would trust in Egypt. This is not uh, focusing so much on the Egypt past of which Israel were delivered out of by that marvelous exodus. But do you remember what happened at the exodus? God supernaturally delivered the people of God out of Egypt where they'd been enslaved for years. And it wasn't too long as they were in the wilderness and they began to look over their shoulder and think, you know what? Life was better in Egypt than it is now in the wilderness following Moses. We began to remember the melons and the garlic in Egypt and forget about all the slavery. We began to look back over their shoulder and think, well, perhaps life in Egypt would be better. And there's a danger for us, a temptation of going backwards. Is there anybody here tonight? You're tempted to go backwards. Life is difficult as a Christian. I spoke to a, a young Christian recently who'd recently been converted and he was really wrestling through many of his own personal sins, which were still very raw as a new Christian. And so we're not to be enticed to trust in Egypt or ever to attempt to return to Egypt. The world has nothing to offer us as Christians. Would you agree? It has nothing to offer us spiritually. The day will come when the lights in Egypt, as we've learned from Isaiah, one day they'll all go out in the world. We learned recently the day will come when all the towers in this world will fall. Woe, woe, it says, to those who go down to Egypt. And Isaiah has only begun his sermon. He's not, he's not, gonna, you know, he's not constrained by time and saying, well, you know, we'll have a 30-minute sermon. You read the chapter after chapter, and Isaiah, over his ministry, has a lot to say. But what does the word woe mean? It means, it means God will, will, will give a judgment upon the people who turn to Egypt, Egypt's help. Do you remember what Jeremiah preached a little bit later? He preached this very similar message in Jeremiah 17. Do you know those verses? Jeremiah preaches something very similar. He says, Cursed is the man who trusts in men and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What sobering words for us there. We think, well, why is the church in such a difficult mess all across our country? When God promises, when we trust in the Lord, that he says we'll be like a tree planted by water. But what a contrast. Let me just give this contrast. I'm running ahead of myself a little bit, but uh, I just want to give us this as we think about the Lord's Supper and preparing for it. This is very different to Egypt, isn't it? It's very different to the world. I mean, I'm not sure many people in the world, if they were here tonight, would be impressed. If you, naturally speaking, unless the Holy Spirit was at work, they'd be saying to you, well, you know, what's the point of this, this loaf of bread down the front? You know, we can go to better restaurants than this, surely. It's a very humble meal. But we think about the apostles on the last night um, when the Lord's Supper was instituted. And it says in John 13... One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Pete, Simon Peter motioned him to ask of whom he was speaking. And so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to them, Lord, who is it? He leaned on the breast of Jesus. And may we be called by the Lord tonight in any way that we're tempted to go to Egypt, to trust in Egypt, instead to go to the Lord and to bring our trust afresh onto the Lord God Almighty in every part of our being and lives. Psalm 124, as we've said, our help is in what? It's in the name of the Lord. Who did what? He made the heavens and the earth. Is anybody here bound down with anxiousness you're feeling anxious you're you're in turmoil within your soul you you're not sure what to do what's the answer of jesus what does he say he says look to the birds of the air imagine that do you, when was the last time you took time and you focused on the birds of the air not not just saw them flying past but you you took time to look at a, a particular bird jesus says look at that bird look at it it's not anxious about anything. It doesn't have a barn. It's not saving up. It doesn't sow. It, it just wakes up every morning and the Heavenly Father feeds it. Further, Jesus says, he says, consider the lilies of the field, the flowers of the field. When was the last time you looked at a flower and thought to yourself, what, what a miracle this is. That this, have you ever seen a dahlia? You think it's just beautiful symmetry. And our Heavenly Father weaves it together. And then Jesus says, do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Now you put the news on, and the news seems to specialize and has done my whole life. It's the world's method of communication. I'm not saying we don't ever listen to the news, but we'll always peddle anxiety and worry. You need to start worrying. You need to start worrying. The, 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 the sea levels are going to rise. You need to start worrying. Methane levels are getting too high. You need to start worrying. Etc., etc., etc. 
on what a different message we have rather than Egypt. And here, before we move to our second heading, is this, is this mandate from the Lord in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. What does the Lord say to us in the church from back then? When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, what's the Lord's mandate? Why do we pray on Saturday nights? Why do people come here and gather and cry out to God? It's because we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So therefore, it's one thing to say, well, I don't live a worldly life. That's one thing for us. That's the first heading. Don't trust in Egypt. People say, I don't live a worldly life. Well, we're going to look at the next heading, which is trust not in Egypt's power. Because it's one thing to say, we don't live a worldly life, but what are we trusting in for the extension of the church of God? And our second heading is trust not in Egypt's power. Chapter 31, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but do not look to the Holy One of Israel. So our first setting is generally don't look to the world in the church for answers. Secondly, don't trust in Egypt's power. It's very easy for us to develop self-righteousness. And we can tut at the world and the worst of it and think, well, I'm not like that. Well, let's make sure that we're not trusting in Egypt's power in any way, shape, or form. Because at the heart of the problem here is the people of God are trusting in Egypt's horses. They're relying upon them to keep them safe. Did you notice in verse 3 what we read? Isaiah preaches, the Egyptians are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. We don't trust in human beings in the church. That's not our first trust. We know that hymn, don't we? We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but we wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's God who is our help. It's God who is our answer. It's God to whom we must turn. And they were trusting the people of God in Egypt's power. And therefore, the protection of Pharaoh would end up to be their shame. Their sheltering in the shadow of Egypt would end up to be their humiliation. The whole idea of trusting in horses and chariots and horsemen, it all seems so quaint. But these were the power animals, as I've said. How our Western nations are so arrogant and proud. How nations like Britain, we boast in the size of our army. The number of jets that we have that we can send off around the world to protect us. If God doesn't protect us as a nation, then we're going to be doomed. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. We get an example in Deuteronomy to kings and it, and it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17 before there ever was, were kings 
The instructions are this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set up a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. This gives us insight. Our trust has to be in the Lord. We've read Psalm 20, and we've heard about that, and we're going to look at that now. I remember many years ago, I was involved in street preaching. I've done a fair bit of street preaching over the years. And uh, I was a young Christian, and I read this verse, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord. And I was actually preaching in, a, in, in, a, in Sheffield City Centre, and I was near a bookmaker's, you know, I don't know, William Hill or whatever it was. And I saw people scuttling into the bookies. And uh, so I took that verse and I began to preach. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And while it would, be, it would have some application in terms of don't trust in gambling, that's true, but that's not the real force of the text really here. It's much more that we're not to rely upon Egypt's power. Even the kings there, it's saying, don't trust in the king. We have to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't we need Christians around us who will point us to the Lord and remind us time and time again that our help is in the name of the Lord? Because let's just think about this for a moment, not trusting in Egypt's power. Lest we fall into self-righteousness in the church, thinking, that's not us. How many times do I have people come to me and they talk to me about currents of, of operation in churches about public worship? I, I heard in the recent uh, months about a church where dry ice is the norm. You see, some of you won't even know what dry ice is. It's one of the world's methods in nightclubs that pumps out kind of smoke. And, uh, and you know, and one person said, well, you know, you know, don't be so critical. I mean, you know, they love the Lord. I'm thinking, well, how can you really say we're loving the Lord when a church is, is promoting the power of Egypt, the power of using worldly methods to help in the church. Have you ever come across things like that? This is using the world's power. You say, well, that's not us. Uh, you know, we've got psalm books, we've got hymn books. We're not like them. Well, do we trust in the Lord or do we trust in something other than the Lord? Because Paul has strong words to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Paul goes on, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling blocks to Jews, 
Paul goes on in chapter 2 and he says that we don't rest in, in the power of men. We don't rest in eloquence. I've got headings for us tonight, but we're not trusting in, oh, that was a marvelous sermon. We praise God if sermons are marvelous, but we have to bring ourselves, we have to bring one another to trust in the Lord. Are you trusting in the Lord tonight? Because it's so subtle, and we have all across the land in the United Kingdom today churches that have adopted methods, worldly methods, worldly power, thinking that will extend the kingdom of God. And it certainly won't. It's God alone who will preserve and care for his church. And if God chooses not to preserve and care, we can't resort to worldly methods to, for it to happen another way. Our help is in the name of the Lord. But one thing is for sure, is the resurrection teaches us that God will revive his church again. Do you believe that? God will revive his church again. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But if we say, well, we don't trust in the world, we're not living a worldly life, well, God has for us here in chapter uh, Corinthians uh, teaches us that we need the preaching of the word of God in the church as a part of God's means of grace to help us. We pray, I hope you pray, that God would pack out this chapel. I don't think I'm living in a day today when professing Christians, never mind others, are pressing in to hear preaching. Do you see that? Pressing in to hear the word of God, having such a burning hunger, beating down the door of the church, saying, if you had three services, I would be all of them. We want to pray for a great hunger to be restored. Let me just read one other thing before we turn to our last heading, which is looking to the Lord. And it's again Isaiah, who preaches at the end of his book. And this is recorded for us in Holy Scripture. As we come to the Lord's table, it says here, but God speaking says, Thus says the Lord, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Don't we desire that in our lives? That God would enable us to be humble, contrite in spirit, really broken-hearted and trembling at the word of God. Could anybody be here tonight to be so bold and say, that describes me? I don't think it describes any of us. But God has a portrait for us, and we must come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm not trembling at your word in the way that I should. Well, let's finish off with some encouragement from Isaiah. As we've read in chapter 31, it says here, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots and because they are many and horsemen because they are very strong. But, praise God for the but. He says, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. In other words, there's pastoral comfort here. I could have preached the second heading, by the way, for probably an hour and looked to all the inroads that I've seen in 30 years alone, never mind over a longer period, inroads that I've seen in different churches, in different countries, 
of people using worldly methods, thinking that will extend the kingdom of God. And it never will. But what we've got here is pastoral encouragement for every one of us tonight is the opposite of looking to the Egypt and to the world and to Egypt's power. It's this. It's looking to the Holy One of Israel and consulting the Lord. What a beautiful thing. That name of God again, the Holy One of Israel. Again, back to this phrase, look. Just like Jesus says, consider the birds of the air, this is not a casual look. It's not a fleeting glance. Sunday's out of the way now, and I don't think much about the Lord for the rest of the week. No, it's a, an ongoing looking of gazing. Gazing is far more than a passing glance. For those who are married here tonight, we've been married for 27 years, and praise God for the Lord's faithfulness that we can truthfully say by the grace of God, we love each other as much today as we ever have. Praise God for that. But our love doesn't express itself in quite the same way as when we first fell in love. Remember those early days of gazing? You know, it was, it was like, you know, can't even get this man's attention anymore. You know, you, know, you know, of just gazing. And that's the idea of gazing upon the Lord with a beautiful fixation upon the Lord. How we want that to be recaptured in our lives. Looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Looking to the Holy One of Israel. The second thing is, is that God is holy. And how different that is to the unholy methods of the world. And the last thing we need is to be importing those unholy methods into the church. That source of power, whatever it is, is not the power we need in the church. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In Colossians it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're to look intently to the Lord. We have the Lord's Supper tonight, and it is important that when the bread is broken that our eyes are open. It's not a time at that point to close our eyes because we need to see the tearing of the loaf, which is a visual aid that God is giving us. We only have three visual aids in the church. And what are they? They are bread, they are wine, and water. And each one points us uh, to uh, the visible uh, sacrament, points us to the invisible benefits that we have in the gospel through Christ. And so the tearing of the loaf points us to the, the, the tearing of the body of Jesus upon the cross. But as we come to a close tonight, as we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, here are just three or four questions from the Lord's, uh, from, not the, for, sorry, from the Westminster Larger Catechism to give us timeless counsel of what it means to consult the Lord. 
Because we're not only to look for the Lord, but we're to inquire of him. He's to be our source of inquiry. The first question in the larger catechism is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. Is that your end tonight? Is that your goal in life? Because if it is, Egypt and Egypt's power will not be attractive to you. Question three in the larger catechism is this. What is the word of God? And the answer is the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God. And then it says the only rule of faith and obedience. Our only rule of faith and obedience is the written word of God. Therefore in the church, not only the reading of the word of God, but the listening to the reading is essential if we're going to trust in the Lord instead of the world. So we can ask ourselves, how do we listen in church? How do we listen in, in worship? Do we listen with a riveted attention? Question five, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and some Christians would want us to stop there. They would say, no, that's enough, that's enough, enough, no, nothing more. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God, but secondly, and what duty God requires of man. So the scriptures teach us what we're to believe, but also what duties that we have. One of those duties is the observance of the fourth commandment which is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Some people say, ah, we've, we've heard the sermon this morning about legalism. No, 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 no. We're not keeping the fourth commandment as a basis to be saved. We're observing the fourth commandment because that's a duty that God requires of us. And so we need to be reminded that, the, that God uh, requires things of us. And then finally, question 153. This is helping us to know how we can consult the Lord. Question 153. What does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us by reason of the transgression of the law? And the answer is that we may escape the wrath and curse of God due to us by reason of the transgression of the law he requires of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. Notice that phrase, the diligent use of the outward means. What are those outward means? They are the word of God that's rightly preached and heard. Secondly, the diligent use of the sacraments, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And thirdly, and there are others, but thirdly, prayer. And so we can ask ourselves, how diligent are we at the attendance of the means of grace for the administration of the word of God 
the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are not optional extras. Have you ever gone to buy a car? Could be a second-hand car. And, you know, and they say, well, you know, I've got, got some extras for you. You know, you don't want this basic model down there. You know, we've got some here with leather seats, and we've got some with, uh, uh, you know, electric windows, tinted windows, heated seats, and all kinds of stuff. He said, no, I just want a car. But sometimes as Christians, we're like that. We think the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper uh, are just extras. No, they're very integral to the whole work of the church and how we need a recovery of a reverent appreciation of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper.